Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out, right now. My best mates are down in Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. You know Vegas is a place for headliners. Some of the greatest entertainers in the world have great stages across the city. Today, you'll meet one of those superstars, Jeffrey Osborne. Our regulars are here as well in their mission to bring Vegas home to you. Scott Robin is up first with a look at the temporary condition of Mass Casino staff. Pawn stars Brett Maley, Chef Justin Wells, your sommelier Matt Leos, statistician Michael Shackelford, and barbecue master Mike Ross are all here as well as we deliver Vegas to go. First up, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. Scott, when we arrive in town, will our car dealers, hotel staff, and showgirls all be wearing masks? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I think overall, all employees are going to be wearing masks. I imagine if they do, you're talking about like the dancing dealers. Uh, I think they're if they do, they're probably going to have fringe on there of some sort. Like I think they're going to sexy it up. And it's going to be done kind of ironically because nobody's really getting within six feet of these folks, um, you know, when they're dancing on these uh, tables. So there's really no reason for them to have a mask. And because it's either six feet or a mask, it's not six feet and a mask. It's kind of redundant. Uh, So hopefully they'll keep it sexy. If they do wear masks, I have not seen any prototypes, but I suspect they'll all be branded. So I think they're going to have fun with it. I think the bartenders are going to do the same thing, the flair bartenders. Uh, I think they're all just going to be very focused on people having a great time, a great experience with all the safety precautions in place, but to, to not just constantly be reminding people that there's something to worry about. So to me, that's the biggest downside of anybody wearing a mask in a casino is it's just this reminder of, oh, yeah, I'm not, I can't really let loose completely. But I think people will adjust to it very quickly. And one of the things that I've observed is that the service culture in Vegas is so good. And waitresses and servers and bartenders, they're all so good. You can actually tell that they're smiling under their masks. But I think the folks in Vegas are so good at this. You will feel welcome even if somebody's wearing a mask. Thanks, Scott. Visit VitalVegas.com every day to stay connected to the latest going on in Vegas. Planning your next trip around entertainers? Well, how about Jeffrey Osborne, who will appear at the Cannery Casino in North Las Vegas on Monday, September 7th, and at the Orleans Hotel on Saturday, October 3rd. How do you determine who is truly a world-class singer? Well, you can look at the accolades, four Grammy nominations, five gold and platinum albums. Jeffrey Osborne, I know you know that name because, quite frankly, there's a song, On the Wings of Love. As soon as you hear it, you think Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey, want to ask you, 
What's it like to have a song like that? I mean, is that like really a career height of all heights where people hear that one song and know it's you? Oh, yeah, it's definitely uh that that was a career song for me, especially coming from the group LTD that was on my first album as a solo artist. You know, when you leave something, a group that's successful and you're kind of venturing off into the unknown, you kind of never know what to expect. To have my first solo album, to have a song like On the Wings of Love uh, was major for me. Uh, it actually kind of, for well, people knew my voice, but they didn't know my name. And it kind of marriages the two together you know people yeah finally knew the the name behind the voice and <laughs> so it was a major career song for me and uh you know they don't come along that often those kind of songs it makes so much sense because you were born to do this right i mean like your dad was played with some of the all-time greats of jazz yeah i came from a very musical family i'm the youngest of 12 in my family i had five brothers and six sisters and just about everybody sang I played an instrument. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of born for this. I, I started playing in nightclubs when I was 13, so I got a chance to, at 15, you know, I mean, I was playing four nights, four shows a night, seven nights a week. So I was kind of groomed for it. I don't think today's singers get that kind of grooming because there's no clubs for them to to develop in. I mean, it's all DJs now spinning records, but back then it was live entertainment in all the clubs and you got to play in front of people and you got to do the grind. I mean, it was a grind. And so I think that's the difference between some of the singers in my era and the era before that and today's singers. They just seem to come out of the gate with no experience. They've been discovered in somebody's uh, home studio and they're thrown out in front of people and don't really know what to do. And then they got so many gimmicks today. I mean, anybody can be a singer today. All you need is auto-tune. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. And you managed, when you were with your dad, you got to see people like Sarah Vaughn. I mean, how important is that to see one of the truly greats and see how they take the, the craft so seriously and how it's not just about singing, it's about projecting, it's about making an identification right. with your audience and all that. Oh, it's priceless. You know, I got I grew up in an incredible era. I got to play, I got to open for Jackie Wilson when I was 15 years old in Providence, Rhode Island. So I got to talk to singers like, like Jackie, who were great singers, and to meet the Sarah Vaughns and to meet people that, you know, I felt were just legends in their own right. You know, to sit and talk with the Miles Davis. You know, you don't get that experience today. And, and they were always so open and shared so much. And again, today you see people that are very kind of guarded. They don't want to. They don't want to pass it along. They kind of want to hold on to it. And it's just a beautiful era to come up in. And uh, you know, I got a chance to be on stage. I mean, I grew up. You know, my family was always into jazz. My dad was into Clifford Brown and Miles Davis and all these great trumpet players. And you know, my sisters were into Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan and Billie Holiday. And so. I got a well-rounded musical education growing up. And then I I was into the Motown era, you know. I had to wait to listen to my music after they all listened to what they wanted to hear. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be a temptation. I'm out on the corners with my little singing group, singing to, and then later on in life to be doing shows with the Temptations and shows with the OJs and shows with Aretha and shows with Gladys. It's amazing. It's like... I 
I lived my dream and I got a chance to meet all these people and talk to these people and share different ideas and developing developmental skills. And I was, it was amazing. It's amazing. I'm, I'm fortunate to have come up in the time period that I came up in. More with Jeffrey Osborne in a moment. Let's check in now with the art appraiser from Pawn Stars, Brett Maley. Brett, if we own any valuable art, do we need to plan for what happens to it once we pass on? Unfortunately, a lot of times people don't leave instructions or a will as to what their intentions are with the piece. And then I'm dealing with the heirs. And a lot of times they don't know what to do. And sometimes they'll just say, well, you know, get rid of it. And, and you know, you want to have a better plan than that. But yes, if it's a, if it's a work by a master, um, there's going to be a museum out there that would probably uh, be interested in bringing it in. And a, a lot of times it, it may not be, you know, a donation situation. They might be willing to deal with your heirs to display it and, and hang it and have it be on a, maybe a permanent loan or semi-permanent loan. There's different ways to do that, and, and that is something else that I've consulted with clients on, and uh, I, I think it's one of those things as, as part of your due diligence with your collection when you get your work appraised. That's something you should have in the back of your mind. Okay, when I'm gone, who is going to get this piece and where, where should it go? Thanks, Brett. Don't forget to visit Brett's gallery, Art Encounter, virtually on the web and in person, just blocks away from the Strip. And if you mention Vegas Never Sleeps, they'll send a limo to your hotel to get you. Back with Jeffrey Osborne in a moment, along with a visit from Chef Wells and sommelier Matt Leos. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. To re-emerge stronger and safer than ever, ask yourself these crucial questions. Should all restaurants, retailers, and venues have new safety and sanitation procedures in place? As a business owner, how can you assure your valued guests that proper protocols are being followed? How can you give your guests confidence knowing that you've prioritized their health and safety? Introducing VirusSafe Pro a revolutionary mobile technology software that provides checklists, reminders, and confirmations to help your team perform health and safety measures right on schedule. It allows you to close the information gap in the workplace by giving your employees a dedicated source of credible instructions in a timely manner, right from their mobile devices. Validate compliance with health and wellness standards, provide regular safety and health messaging, and confirm that approved protocols have been performed all in real time and an easy to read dashboard. Tracking and verifying health and safety procedures in your business has never been more important. To learn more about how VirusSafe Pro can help you reopen, visit VirusSafePro.com. Medicare rules are confusing. They should be. There are over 130,000 pages of regulations. There's Part A through D, Medicare Advantage, and Medigap. According to the CMS, there are government programs available that can help you pay for your medical expenses. Choosing the right Medicare plan is a really big deal. The wrong choice can cost you a lot of money, and the right choice can put more money in your pocket. Call one of our licensed representatives today. At 65 Plus Medicare, our free service can show you a plan that will maximize your Medicare benefits, ensure you are taking advantage of all available government assistance programs, and save you money. Plus, call right now and get a free report on how to avoid costly Medicare mistakes. Call now. 
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Great food is a part of the Vegas experience and it starts immediately. Chef Justin Wells explains. Talk about the bread. I know you went out of your way to find the right bread to serve with every meal. Of course, yeah, because th- that's the whole thing is the first thing that you put in your mouth is the bread. I mean, it should be hot. It should have crisp. It, the butter should be tempered. It should be salted correctly. I mean, that's the first thing that you taste at the restaurant. I mean, that's like, it, so the bread is exceedingly important. It's the one thing that honestly, if if I'm being honest, I probably ride my staff the most about where it's like the bread needs to be hot. It needs to be serviced correctly. It's just, it's no different than my steak. In my opinion, it's as important as the protein that hits your table. It should be cooked correctly. It should be served hot. The bread is no different. It is just, it's absolutely important. And you know the difference between great bread and not. And there's great bread available in stores. And so the average person's eating really great bread. And so I think if you can take it up another level and having it served hot and with, you know, again, with all those little details combined, it it makes a huge difference. Thanks, Chef. Let's get back to our conversation with the great Jeffrey Osborne. No question, but you must have had a lot of confidence. I mean, age 15, the, the OJ's drummer is too tired to play. They put you on there two weeks. That's incredible. And, and when you're playing the drums, Jeffrey, where you're like, I can't believe I'm up here doing this with these guys. Well, that, that was all the inspiration and, and motivation I needed to know that I could do it. I could do this. And before then, I had my local group, and I was playing in all those clubs that these guys were coming into, like the OJ's. So being that I played in the club to come over and let me meet these guys, and I got a chance to talk to them. And they let me come up and audition, and and I got the job. And it kind of let me know that I could do this. You know, they were a very big group at the time. They had albums out, and, uh, you know, it kind of lets you know, well, uh, if you can work with these guys for a two-week run there, that I should be able to do this, this is what I want to do. I knew then that this is what I want to do, and that I had the capability of doing it on that level. Wow, what a gift to be able to do what you were meant to do right from the start. And then you go into Love Man Limited, and I guess that had to be a thing where having done that, you know, not only did you know you were good enough, but you kind of see the way some of the best people behave on stage. And this goes back even to when you were a kid watching this stuff. So it just right. was natural, right? It was very natural, yeah. And 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 Love Man Limited, at the time they were called Love Man Limited, they were the backup group for Sam and Dave. Mm. And a lot of people don't know that. So they, they had just come off the road working with Sam and Dave for a couple of years and decided to start their own thing. And they were just working their way up the East Coast. Most of them were based in uh, North Carolina. And I ended up running into them in Providence at a nightclub. Because, I, you know, being in Providence, there weren't a lot of black musicians that yeah. I could play with there. So <laughs> someone told me there's a group of 10 it's a ten-piece group of all black musicians playing in a club. I'm like, oh, I gotta go see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and, and it paid oh. off. I mean, you guys had a lot of hits. People might not remember how many hits you had. We had we had a lot of hits. Yeah, it was a very good group, and it was a very good group, a lo- good live group. I mean, we were we were like, you know, we we got kicked off of some tours because we put so much heat on people. I mean, we toured with the Commodores. A lot. That was a major tour back in the day, LTD Commodore. But yeah. we did the Jacksons tour in 79. 
when Michael Jackson finally had his first off-the-wall album, first solo album, we toured with them, and they kicked us off the tour when we came to L.A. because we were putting too much pressure on them. Yeah, too much excitement um, for the opening yeah, act. Yeah, <laughs> it was too much, yeah. So they kicked us off, and they put the emotions on. And the emotions were good, but, you know, they, were, they, they didn't have that fire in front of them, so they felt more comfortable in, in L.A. So, yeah, we, we were a good live group, a lot of great musicians. I learned so much with LTD because I got a chance to write with so many different players, you know, horn players. I would sit down and write with the trumpet player. I would sit down and write with the keyboard player, with the guitar player. I, I really got rounded as, as a songwriter, and I wrote quite a few songs with LTD. Yeah, and I think just that whole thing of looking at each part of the group makes so much sense. You know, how can I bring all these things together? Because it's kind of a collaboration of sounds, right? It's not just you sit down yeah, and write words. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was the beauty of it. It was a, a, a big group. You know, I had a full horn section. And so you kind of learned uh, how to build a song from the ground up. You learn about orchestration. You know, you sit with horn guys. You see how they... Uh, how they would arrange something. You see how this keyboard player would arrange things. So you start learning orchestration, and it really uh, it just gives you such a solid base as you go further, you know. Well, you were obviously ready to go solo. I mean, look at that song. But it had to take a lot of guts. Was there a little bit of, yeah, you're a confident guy, so I doubt there was fear, but there's always that wondering, <laughs> is that going to make a difference, you know? I'm out there by myself. Well, yeah. It, it was a it was a big challenge for me uh, because you know you don't know you know you're venturing off into the unknown and there weren't a lot of people that were successful coming out of the groups I mean there were of course Lionel was successful but he left after I did I left yeah. LTD before he left the Commodores and then Michael had basically left the uh, the Jacksons mm-hmm. but there weren't a lot of people that left groups that were successful so it was definitely a a challenge and nobody knew my name. Everybody knew my voice, but they didn't know my, I was. It was never Jeffrey Osborne and LTD. It was just LTD. People yeah. knew Michael Jackson and Lionel was like the guy with Commodore. You know, the challenge was to associate the name with the voice. So that's why my first album was simply called Jeffrey Osborne. Because radio would have to say, well, this is On the Wings of Love by Jeffrey Osborne from the album Jeffrey Osborne. So they'd keep having to bang the name. Yeah. So... <laughs> So it was just associating the name with the voice. It was amazing, though, how many people did know my voice. I got lucky with the fact that I got to work with George Duke as my first producer uh, as, as a solo artist. And that was a godsend. That was like just being with probably the most well-rounded person that there is musically. I mean, he was a musical genius. So I, I was blessed to have been put in the hands of George Duke for my first record. More with Jeffrey Osborne coming up. Your sommelier, Matt Leos, talks about cocktails, wine, and spirits each week. One of the places you find a great variety of adult beverages are at steakhouses, and not all the great steakhouses are on the Strip. I'm thinking of places like South Point, which are known for having pretty good food, and it's a place that wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily expect it based on kind of the old style of the hotel. Uh, South Point's great to be honest with you, across the street, there's a, rest, uh, a casino called Sol- Silverton that has a steakhouse called Twin Creeks that has food that's way better than it should be. Wow. Uh, really outrageous little steakhouse right there called Twin Creeks. I love that place. And another kind of off-the-beaten-path steakhouse is at the Golden Nugget, Vic and Anthony's downtown. Tremendous. Yeah. 
Wow. Tremendous. I've always had good experiences there. And it is, it is a franchise. I mean, it's part of Landry's group. Yeah. Uh, Tillman Fertitta is the, the man behind that. Um, but the quality of the food, the service, the wine list, everything at Vic and Anthony's is pretty outrageous. Sean Heilman's a sommelier there, and he's a dear old friend and very good at what he does. Well, thank you, Matt. Coming up, more with Jeffrey Osborne and our regular features that look at gaming and barbecue. Remember, all our shows are archived on our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com. You can also listen to them on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. I'm Bobby Brooks Wilson, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. It's summertime and you're thinking barbecue. But what's the best grill to use? Well, let's ask barbecue master Mike Ross of Jesse Ray's Barbecue. What would you recommend to somebody that would like to try to maybe become a little barbecue master themselves? There's uh, the easy way or the, the, not, the non-easy way and both have it has its rewards. If you're gonna go easy and you want to go really fast, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of, of pellet smokers at home. I don't cook on them at the restaurant, but like uh, Traegers or Green Mountain Grills or Yoders, you know, they're all really good. They're, they're built a little bit differently, but they all run on the same principle. And as far as combustion goes, they're right in the middle. You know, you don't get amazing smoke flavor, but it puts out really great food and they're really simple. So. I, I do recommend, I like the pellet smokers for people who um, just want to flip it and flip it on and go. Um, I'll be honest, tons and tons and tons of people in the competitive world use pellet smokers. I'm talking a lot. So there's nothing, you know, you're not doing anything different. Or you don't have to feel any bad about any worse about it than some of the biggest champions on the competition circuit. So and that being said, if you want to go and get the full effect of barbecue and you want to soak your fire, you want to keep your temperatures and replace your wood. Um, there's one smoker in particular called the Weber Smoky Mountain. This comes in two different sizes, and I will tell you, everybody, I mean everybody on the competition circuit has at least one of these. They are the most efficient smokers for the price point that exists. Like, they are amazing. They come in two different sizes, which obviously come in two different prices. And, you know, they're little bullet smokers. Um, you use a process called the minion method, which is how you light your charcoal from one side and let it go to the next. And they just will burn great. They, they, they burn very efficiently. They cook great food. And you could actually get that wood and charcoal combustion that's very full of soot and get that very full of flavor because that combustion is just the best combustion. So those are my two things I recommend, the Weber Smoky Mountain and a pellet smoker, if uh, depending on which route you want to go. Thanks, Mike. And if you're in Vegas or are headed here, make sure to visit Jesse Ray's. And if you mention Vegas Never Sleeps, they take 15% off your bill. That's what we call winning in Vegas. Let's get back to our conversation now with the great Jeffrey Osborne. Well, there are people out there that do that. (laughs) I know. I I can't even listen to myself. (laughs) I I just started being able to appreciate 
my early albums because I would always listen to them and say, oh, I should have did this, I should have did that. I could never really just appreciate it. Now I, I'm at the age where now I can sit back and I can appreciate, especially when George passed, because I was able to sit back and appreciate his production, his the way he orchestrated things. I could, I could really appreciate the songs now. I'm like, wow, this guy was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were talking before, too, about kind of your frustration of modern music in the sense that there isn't all this training and people aren't getting better and they're just thrown out there and so forth. And I think the whole album concept is really missed because an album like your first album, it got all parts. It isn't just the one single, which everybody knows. Right. Yeah. But they can really appreciate what you can do. And and I got to think it's unfortunate that we don't have the emphasis on it the way we used to. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy now because, you know, you, I mean, well, back then there were 45s. That, yeah. that was even that was even precious because you had an A and a B side. So I could take a song that I didn't think would ever do anything and put it on the B side of a 45. As far as publishing and songwriting went, you got the same amount as the A side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, exactly. It was, so it, we called it taking a ride. So you just put a song, you take a ride on the B side. They don't have that anymore. Now you got to digitally download whatever you want. But back then, they would flip a, a 45 over and the B-side would be coming in. <laughs> well, that's why I think people are going to love your show because they don't realize if they just know you from the one song and they love it, yeah, they're going to hear it. It's great. But you can do all sorts of different types of music, and I think they're going to really appreciate the, you know, if they don't know you that well, how really you, you can do all sorts of things. Yeah, the show is that I've been doing lately is a little bit of everything. You know, I, I do... I do a lot of LTD now uh, in the show. You know, I mix it up and I have fun and I do things that aren't even mine. I'll do a taste of this and a taste of that. But, uh, yeah, the show is, is pretty diverse now. We, ha- we have a lot of fun with it. So uh, I look forward to doing the shows. Yeah, well, and it's a good mix of not just R&B, but jazz. You got funk in there. And I think that's really cool because... We're kind of missing that. All the all the the music nowadays. It's just it's hard to find something that can really take you across a a, a real mix of great music. Well, I I don't think music today. The music takes you on a journey today. I listened to the songs even before my era, the fifties. The songs had such beautiful verses, and then a beautiful bridge, and then a hook, and then. You know, it was just, it took you somewhere. These songs today, they don't even have a bridge. They all sit on one chord, and, you know, they do the verse off the chord. They sing a different chorus on the same chord. You know, it's funny because in doing a new record, like the last record I just did, I had somebody had to remix them for radio because mine was too musical. And what they do is they take it and they dumb your music down, and they tell me that people today can't listen to more than three chords. Wow. So, And I understand it when I listen to today's music. It's also basically like one, two, three chords, and that's as far. And I think that we've lost respect for the listener. Uh, they, seem that they seem to think, well, these people, you know, everything is quick microwave today, you know, you yeah. know, you've got to hold their attention, boom, and you don't, can't wander too much and this and that. But I think we've, we've lost 
respect for the listener. I think there are people that still want to hear good music. It's just kind of sad to me where it has, where music has gone. It's kind of taken a backward seat to what it used to be. And the scary thing about it is it's, it's selling more than what the music we did back in the day. <laughs> well, it's sad because it's sort of an insult to the listener, like you say. And also, artists like yourself, I mean, this is what you do, and you're kind of limited, and that's unfortunate. You can't you can't take chances the way you even think of back of the, what the Beatles used to do in albums. You know, now you can't right. do that anymore. No, no, they, they, it's too much for them to listen to. Uh, for some reason, they don't want to, you know... They want everything to just sit on that one chord, and they're, and they're happy. Well, yeah. thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, too. Thank you. You can see Jeffrey Osborne at the Cannery Casino in North Las Vegas on Monday, September 7th, and at the Orleans Hotel in Vegas on Saturday, October 3rd. We've discussed great entertainment, food, drink, and even safety today, so let's not forget gaming. It looks like sports leagues are coming back in the near future. Football and baseball will be starting soon, with basketball and hockey playoffs followed by a new season. And that brings up betting on season-long finishes. Are they good bets? Well, let's ask our own statistician we refer to as the Wizard of Odds, Michael Shackelford. When it comes to things like long-term bets, like at the beginning of the season... The big one here, of course, was when the Golden Knights expansion team was like 500 to 1, and <laughs> there were some people that were scared. Are those generally kind of good bets? Uh, again, these odds makers are pretty good at it, just like they are on the daily things, but uh, do you like those bets? No, I would not recommend futures bets. For example, will the, um, yeah, the Boston Red Sox win the World Series? Uh, no, they take about 35% juice out of those, so which is a lot and yes everyone can always tell some story about some long shot team you know taking it all but as a general rule i would stay away from futures bets from a mathematical point of view now if you're just a recreational player and you want to throw a hundred bucks on the orioles to win the world series and that keeps you entertained for the whole series all right go ahead i'm not going to wag my finger at you but just mathematically it's not a great bet Thanks, Mike. And speaking of sports, up next is our new feature, the Sports Tours. Today's subject, the Vegas Raiders coach, John Gruden. You'll meet former scout John Kingdon, who tells the story of Gruden's first stint with the Raiders in Oakland. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code VEGAS20. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to the Sports Rockin' Tours. Today's Rockin' Tours are John Kingdon, former scout for the Oakland Raiders and close confidant of the late Al Davis. Also today, a quick visit with Vegas casino giant Derek Stevens. Up first, let's meet John Kingdon. Let's talk about the first time Gruden was around with Al Davis. When he took over, things were really bad, right? I mean, they were 4-12, and 12, and that was really unusual at that time. Well, we'd actually had a pretty bad run. We had uh, we essentially had three coaches in four years, from Chell to Mike White to Joe Bugle. And, you know, the tail was wagging the dog there, and it was a very, very dysfunctional environment. You could really say anything you wanted to Al, you know, one-on-one. And, you know, he asked me after that last game of Joe's year, you know, what did I think? I said, you really want to know? He says, yeah, and I just, I, I laid into it. I said, it's the effort that we put in, it's just not worth it. And he said to me, I'm going to turn this thing around. And, and that's where we came up with John Gruden. You know, when he says that to you, then he goes out and he interviews not only him, but Bill Belichick. Really interesting. Those are two of the best coaches in the history of the league. How do you think Belichick would have worked with Al? I mean, do you, do you think there would have been anything like what happened in New England? Or do you think eventually uh, those two would have betted heads? I think two reasons it wouldn't have come through. First of all, he has nothing but the greatest respect for Bill Belichick, but now's history. He always hired offensive coach. I think he really just enjoyed the opportunity to talk to uh, to Bill Belichick, and I think Bill really enjoyed talking with Al. Just as an aside, you know, when Al was on speakerphone with Bill Belichick, I Coach Belichick always referred to uh, Al Davis as Mr. Davis, and I really always enjoyed that. Uh, just as a, a, another reason I don't think it would have worked was because there was a time I talked about how I came to the uh, discovery that George Allen wanted to get our head coaching job after uh, John Madden retired. Because I, I had picked up uh, Coach Allen and took him to see uh, Daryl Stingley, and we were talking, and, and when I got through with it, I said, this guy still wants to coach. So a couple of months later, I was driving with Al, and he said, guess who wants to be my head coach? I said, George Allen? He, wow, how'd you know that? You know, I was impressed yeah. with that. And he said, well, I said, would you have hired him? I said, nah, he and I couldn't have worked together. He <laughs> had nothing but respect. And I think it would have been the same way with, with Bill. They would have been uh, at loggerhead. Well, he made the right choice for the time when you think about Gruden and so forth. Did he know about his strong personality? I mean, did that go into And also, I know he was afraid the fact that he looked 18, I think. He was young, and, uh, you know, he had talked to uh, Bruce Kebrick there, and he said the same. Boy, how do I hire this guy? He's, he looks so young. And then, and then I think Bruce said, well, how old were you when you got your first uh, head coaching job? And, and he conceded the point. And I think maybe, uh, I think Al probably thought he would have, and would probably like to maybe given John more direction, thinking he needed more direction. But, but John hit the ground running and uh, really went with his philosophy right from the start. Yeah, well, you know, and it's funny because when Gruden took over, I remember watching the team, and it was a reminder of 1963 when Davis came over. It's like there's a new sheriff in town and the whole different feel of the team. Uh, very much so. And, uh, you know, John didn't waste any time uh, taking over. And, and, again, he came in with a situation where, you know, the players weren't used to a strong coach. And, you know, the first practice, uh, you know, John was John. Uh, there was no uh, building up to it. He hit the ground running, you know, with that Gruden voice and attitude. And any little mistake in that first practice, he jumped all over it. And uh, after the practice, I mean, it was a revelation to me as well. He was walking up the stairs, and I was right behind him. And I just said, you know, Coach, that was a great practice. 
And he turned around, you know, kind of slowly. He went, hey, John, I'm <laughs> going to make these players hate my, hate my freaking guts. You know, the other classic story that really drove it home to the players right from the beginning was a story about Larry Brown, who was a free agent that had not worked out well at all and was a particular favorite of Al Davis's. And, you know, people challenged John because, you know, they didn't know what they had. You know, like you said, he was a young-looking guy. and was a young guy. So Larry Brown walks into John's office after uh, one of the first practices and says, hey, look, this is how I'm going to be treated. This is how I'm going to practice, and this is how I'm going to play. Do you have that? John says, yeah, yeah, I do have it. And he called Mark Ortega in. <laughs> says, Mark, buy this guy a ticket and send his ass home right now. Wow. He was number 24, which is what Larry Brown, which is what Charles Woodson wanted when he came in, but it was Larry Brown's number. Well, that afternoon's practice, when Charles Woodson went out to practice wearing 24, I think the revolution, you know, it really became clear to the players that there was a new sheriff in town. It took a lot of guts in those days, though, John, right? I mean, you were close to Al. To go against Al really took a lot of guts at that time. Well, sure, but I think, you know, when John came in, he has, what, a three, I guess, a four-year contract, so what the heck? You want to fire me? You owe me three more years? I don't believe he had that attitude whatsoever. And, in fact, I think he was a little nervous. You know, he was talking to Bruce uh, Kebrick. He says, you know, I think I'm going to get fired. Uh, he says, what do you mean? Well, I just cut uh, Larry Brown. I didn't consult with Al. And, and John, and then Bruce, you know, oh, boy, that's going to be great. That's really going to send the message. I think the other thing that John had going for him was I used to sit in the coaches' meetings, particularly at training camp, and Al would come up with Art Shell and Art, what about uh, trying this formation? Art would write it down. And Art, what about, you know, trying this play? And he'd write it down. And, you know, what about making this adjustment in personnel? And then Art would write it down. When John came in, Al would say, what about this formation? And John would say, well, you know, we just put it in yesterday. We're going to try it tomorrow. What about this play? Well, we tried it last week, don't you remember? And that didn't work. What about this person? Though? Yeah, we're thinking about that. But every so often, Al would come up with something. And John would say, yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, John, I think Al uh, almost got a little frustrated that, that John was uh, pretty much on the same page with Al and uh, maybe in some ways a little bit ahead of him at that point. We talked about these big names, but I remember watching the Raiders when they made their second trip into Oakland. There were some guys where, just as a fan, you could see their heart wasn't in it. He had no trouble getting rid of these guys. And I mean, like a guy like Jeff George, did that drive Gruden crazy? I know Al, he had the skills that Al loved, but the problem was it, he just couldn't go that extra mile. No, you know, there's there's a certain intangible, really, that the great quarterbacks have. And and Jeff was a good guy. Don't don't get me wrong. Was you know he he was he took people under his wing uh, that worked in the office, but he didn't have that that thing that Rich Gannon had, that John Elway had, that Peyton Manning had, and just uh, you know the classic story for me is after one of our games, I, I was sitting next to John in the airport uh, waiting for the uh, charter to get ready, and and John says to me, "Look at that freaking Jeff George sitting next to my assistant." Tommy freaking Jones. Do you think Brett Favre would be sitting next to Tommy freaking Jones? Heck no. He'd be buying drinks for his linemen. He says, one time I said to Jeff, I said, Jeff, do you ever think about taking your linemen out to dinner? Of course not. He never thought about us. I said, Jeff, I got a lot of money. I'll pay for it. Take your linemen out to dinner. Do you think he ever did it? Heck no. And and I've cleaned up the language a lot for your show here. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) It 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 was pretty ripe. But I think that was really what uh, what got really frustrated, John, uh, that someone as talented as Jeff was, uh, that he just couldn't uh, reach him and to, to do all the things that were necessary uh, to become a great quarterback. And, you know, and Rich Gannon comes in, uh, again, you know, a talented quarterback, but, you know, no, nobody was as, as good as an arm with Jeff George. But Rich came in and was just a perfect match for, for John. 
competitive, tough, worked hard. I, I think what John really liked, which displays the exact opposite of Jeff George, was, uh, you know, Jeff goes to the paper soon after he was hired, and there was an article that says, how come I'm the only coach in here working on Saturdays? I don't see any players. I don't see other coaches uh, here. I, I don't see any other players here working besides myself. And Al called me, saw the article, says, who the heck is he? I said, he's your quarterback. I said, this is great. He said, he's just a guy, and he hung up on me. <laughs> More with John next week. If you're a sports fan, you probably can't wait for the circuit to open in downtown, which will feature the world's largest sports book. The man responsible for this is Derek Stevens, who has helped to revitalize downtown. Derek loves sports, especially Michigan sports, which can present a problem. I'm a huge sports fan. I'm, I'm a diehard baseball fan, and I love the NFL. I'm, I'm fired up about hockey. I got to be a little bit a part of the founding 75 of the Vegas hockey team. You know, I, I, I think sports has such a huge impact in, in, in Las Vegas because there's so many sports fans that come here. I mean, I'm still I'm still very so very excited about what's going to happen here with this NHL team. You know, road teams travel. Let me go back to one of your first questions. You weren't sure if I'm a Lions fan or whatnot. Yeah, I'm a, unfortunately... I am a diehard Detroit Lions, Detroit Tigers, Detroit Pistons, Detroit Red Wings, Michigan Wolverines, and, Mich- and Michigan State Spartan fan. But the one thing that actually kind of set me up to be um, someone that can hang in Vegas is as a Lions fan, and, 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 and just for background, you know, they've won one playoff game in my lifetime. So as a Lions fan, you always pick another team. So over the years, over the years, I've actually, I've actually had my favorite team being uh, the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers a couple times. But the Seattle Seahawks have kind of become a team here that you see so many Seahawks jerseys here at the Long Bar. It's, it's just amazing. So um, you know, I, I, I've 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 come to be a, a fan of always an alternate team in the NFL, and you have to as a Lions fan. And it actually uh, it actually livens things up. Well, yeah, you have to go back to the 1950s to the glory days of the Lions. Well, thanks, Derek. Circa will open in December of this year and will feature a state-of-the-art sports book that promises to be a sports lover's paradise. Go to our website and check out the Sports Rack and Tour page. And if you have a sports story you'd like us to share, please contact me at Stephen at VegasNeverSleeps.com. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you to join us again at Vegas Never Sleeps, where you can take a little Vegas home with you. Vegas, here we go!